bad. Has now been around for three seasons and coaches everywhere are saving time and being more efficient when it comes to scout cards. Coach Robinson from Texas says, the thing I most enjoy is the ease of access to all the scout cards and how I can draw on them if I need to make any changes. Every coach that uses it says that it is so great to use. If you and your staff are tired of the old ways of preparing and using scout cards, check out thecoachpad.com to start enjoying scout team and making the 2023 season better than ever. Welcome to another episode of the Gap Downbacker podcast. Um, today we have Coach Adam Cushing. Uh, he is the offensive line coach at Duke uh, there in the ACC. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Nick. Appreciate you having me, man. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. No problem. It's been, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen you. I think the OHFCA virtual year, I mean, many, many, many years ago when I had, I think, like three or four of your staff on. So that was, that was good. Uh, but for coaches who might not be aware of kind of your path, how did you end up as the O-line coach at Duke? Yeah, um, you know, I, I spent a couple years as as a um, graduate assistant at the Division three level in Southern California, uh, small school, University of Laverne, um, but got great experience. I say this all the time when when I'm talking to to young coaches, especially is you know don't don't ever um, you know second guess that that possibility or the opportunity to work at at the division three level because you learn everything right you you have to be somebody you know you have to do every single job there is wear every hat and you usually get to coach a position right I was 22 years old coaching my own position which was a great great experience then moved on and uh, and spent 15 years at Northwestern University you got the good fortune to get hired as a graduate assistant by Randy Walker. Um, and then uh, kept on full time there when our tight ends job opened. And then, um, you know, Pat Fitzgerald took over uh, whenever that was, I guess, oh, uh, six now, um, you know, got an opportunity to stay on there and was was at Northwestern. So I said 15 years, a few years as tight ends coach, 10 years, the O-line coach, and then got the opportunity to be a head coach at Eastern Illinois University. Um, spent three years there, and then uh, now here at Duke University as as the O line coach. Okay. Now, now obviously you have made uh, kids perform at a very high level at some institutions where it's not necessarily easy. I mean, you, you've been. I mean, Northwestern and Duke particularly are very high academic institutions. I mean, typically the toughest academic uh, records that's in their conference or just being honest like I mean so how is it like I mean what is it like and and what do you think challenges or how do you enhance that where you might not have the I'm not gonna say you're the worst offensive lineman but you're not gonna have your requirements are a little more stringent to get in and like I think there's a portion of high schools that deal with the same thing where they have a lot of high academic uh, requirements how do you excel in that environment where the academic requirements are so high to get people in and to coach those kids who are probably extremely smart because they have 30 plus ACTs and I mean, do a lot outside of just the football field and a lot outside the classroom. Yeah. Um, now you got it right. They're, they're, they're exceptional young men. That's I think what, 
where you start, right? There's, there's challenges certainly, right? It limits the recruiting pool that, that you have, but you know, I, I try and flip that on its head and that, you know, you, you can, you can say, okay, I can't recruit everybody in the country, but you, or you can say, great, I can't recruit everybody in the country, right? I can actually build relationships with young men that, um, and, and get to know them because, you know, you and I both know when it comes down to it, success has a very small part to do with talent and a large part to do with mentality, right? Especially at the offensive line position. And so um, that, it allows me the opportunity to have legit relationships with the young men in recruiting, get to know them well, um, and figure out if they're going to have, you know, what it takes mentally to, to succeed at a high level. Because as you said, they're, they're going to they're gonna be pushed in all aspects of their life at a place like Duke, right? It is truly, we're going to expect the very best they can possibly be in the classroom, Right. And in order to compete on the football field at, a, at the power five level, we need the very best there. So um, but that, that's the cool part about coaching these young men that, that want to be great in all aspects of life. Right. It, it For whatever, you know, you may lack in a, in a recruiting pool nationally, you certainly make up for it with the right mentality. Young men, the, the young men that um, that know how to push themselves, that have encountered um, challenges before and have had to overcome them. Right. Um and, you know, and are just used to success, right? Sometimes confidence is a big part of success, right? And guys that are that are used to that level of success, I think, is pretty important. So, um, you know, and then I think we do a great job of using what their advantages are. If they're if they're intelligent young men, then let's use that as part of it, right? Let's let's have the ability to to be multiple with our schemes, you know, maybe more so than than if, uh, you know, at, at different places and um, and, you know, be able to adjust quickly on the fly and give give the O-line quarterbacks a lot of ownership. And I think that that produces, um, you know, offenses that that the guys can take ownership in, too. When they when they know that there's there's some of it on them, they, they take a lot more ownership. Okay. Now, now, now with that, like I, I find that when I've gone up against especially like high schools that have very high academic requirements, like they may not have the and kind of going back to that is the biggest or the strongest or the fastest line. But somehow a lot of those coaches get the most out of those kids. How do you get the most out of your offensive line to where you, you might have some of those deficiencies, whether it be, the, the, as you said, the talent pool or recruiting pool or what, whatever it is. But, I mean, like like I said, at Northwestern, you guys had a very successful run while you were there, and you were very formidable rushing the ball and, and in pass pro. Duke last year, you guys were first in the conference of rushing most of the year. And, and your, I mean, and your passing game was pretty good and your pass protection was pretty good. How do you personally, or what do you think you do that helps get the most out of your offensive line? Um, you know, I, I, <laughs> I, I guess my, my personal philosophy on coaching is, is, you know, is coach them hard and love them harder. Right. And, and so I, I've got enough again, you know, came up under Randy Walker and Pat Fitzgerald and, you know, enough old school in me to, to be demanding, right. To really set a high standard and make sure that the young men are always attacking that high standard constantly. Right. And, and that, that if they're not, then that's a problem. And that's a problem that I'm going to coach. I'm going to attack. I'm never going to attack them personally. Right. I'm going to love them personally. And then I'm going to be consistent. Right. And I believe in order to like consistency is the hallmark of greatness. And if you can, if I'm consistent for them every day, then I can set the expectation of consistency out of them. Right. And I believe that, that you create consistency, right. You create confidence through consistency. And I, I think that, you know, 
with all of the things that there are out there. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of way, way better offensive line coaches than me out there with lots of um, things that they do to make their, their young men. Great. <clears throat> my, my philosophy is kind of not, not, I'm going to get them to do, you know, a hundred things. Well, uh, I'm going to get them to do eight things. Excellent. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to get them to truly own a few things really, really well. Um, and not do it until they get it right. Do it till they can't get it wrong. That's again, just the, I guess in the nutshell is that's how I want to approach fundamentals because we, <laughs> You know, you've heard old coaches say, it, and I really do believe it's true, right? Then, as many times as you turn on a football game, you're, there's always going to be something that happens that you just can't drill, right? So, how do you figure out what are the core things that you can drill? What are the things that they need to improve on, right? And, and um, just constantly attacking those. I, if if the target's constantly moving for young men, they'll have a hard time hitting it. But if you put the the target in a specific place and you just keep pounding home hitting that same target, then I think that you create confidence, which creates consistency, which will then snowball through, you know, through their performance on the field and allow them to truly focus on just those things that at, I guess at the core of success, if all that makes sense. That does. Now, now kind of building off of that, like, I mean, you guys, I think both at Northwestern and at Duke, especially watching some of your film this year, like you, you run both gap and zone schemes. Like, so there's things you do. So how do you balance, like where you want to focus on eight things really well, how do you balance teaching zone and gap uh, blocking progressions as you go? Because like that, that's where a lot of schools seem to have a hard time, especially high schools where, okay, I need to work on gap schemes, but I also want to run some zone schemes. How do you balance that in, in terms of a teaching progression standpoint? Yeah. Awesome question. So, so we certainly do, we, we run all, we run a few different schemes and I think that goes back to your first question, right? So certainly there's, there's some, you know, some ability mentally to handle that from, from young men at, at you know, at high academic schools like Duke. Right. Um, but the other part of that is I, I think the, the, you know, the phrase same as is one of the best phrases in coaching, right? How can you make anything same as something else? Right. And so, you know, I would do everything I can, honestly, to make, and when I put them up on the very first day, before we even get into scheme, I put up the fundamentals, uh, you know, a slide of the fundamentals up on the, on the screen for the young men and say, all right, if you get these fundamentals right, you're going to block our inside zone and our gap scheme. You, we've got it down. So we, we double up the fundamentals for inside zone and gap. I know that there's some tweaks to the double teams that a lot of coaches will, will um, talk through. I try to I try to um, tweak it as little as possible, if I'm being very honest, or maybe I'm not quite smart enough to do it. Or maybe I, honestly, I just kind of focus on um, if I can keep these the same, then they're going to execute the first level, right? The first step, like instead of thinking about the 20 different layers that there might be from executing it, you know, and you again, we, we've, we've been both been around football enough that like taking a human from point A to point B when you have to put two people together it can actually be done a bunch of different ways, right? And so trying not to dive too deeply into that minutia, um, maybe until, you know, you get an upper level player that you can grab off to the side, right? And say, hey, you know, you, you're you're in great position here. Have you thought about that little torque and into the gap so that you can climb, right? And so just starting and staying as 
um, as base and consistent as possible. Um, and then, you know, doing the same thing when you, you know, even when you try and change or not try, when you change the aiming point of the, of the run play, um, every time that you can say, this is same as that. Right. And so, all right, I want the exact same as fit, right. I want, you know, I want the same footwork or right. I want to, I want the same body fit. I just want your eyes a little bit wider. So the number of times I can say same or same as is kind of how I try and allow us to be as flexible as possible scheme wise. Okay. Now that you mentioned inside zone there, and that's one of the questions that's going to ask you, because obviously that's a basis of your offense. Uh, anything that anybody that knows anybody, anything about your offensive coordinator. I mean, you, you look at his lineage and where he's been. That's a big part of his, and you, you've had a heavy experience in it. And everybody runs it differently. Like I could, I could pull 10 division one O-line coaches together. Y'all will all have different aiming points and how you count it. And Yes, like I, I, I'm well aware of that. But like, where do you start? Like, say, say you had an offensive lineman who's been a gap scheme guy his entire offensive line in high school, has no idea what, what inside zone is. Where fundamentally do you start? How do you like base teaching wise? Like, I don't need your your number count. There's 18 million just kept, but where do you start with that offensive lineman? Yeah, it's a great question. So, um, so we really boil it down to. Um, you're either going to be blocking somebody on your own or you're going to be in combination with someone else, right? And if those are the only two things that can possibly happen, right, then we can then we can move from there. And so, you know, I'll, I'll gloss over fast, right? If you're blocking somebody on your own, I call it a control drive, right? And I try and have terms for everything. I think everyone does um, just for that recall, right? And so, um, all right, control drive is this, right? And it's a near via the neck aiming point. The, the tighter he is, the more down the middle you have to take him so that you don't swing your butt in the hole, right? But if you're ever by yourself, right, then you're in a control drive situation. After that, there are two versions of double teams. There's a post drive, right? Where if the play side gap is open, right? Then the play side zone, the play side guy in the double team is going to set the post and the other guy is going to be the set the drive, right? A zone drive at that point, instead of a post drive, he's zone drive because he's working together with, with his buddy. Um, and then, um, so that creates one of the double teams or the play side gap, the farthest play side gap in that combination is closed. And now I have a zone drive guy and a zone er, right? That's, I know, um, probably oversimplified the thing but that's what I, I call it right you're zoning or you're zone driving and at that point now that's everything that could possibly happen there's literally not another way that now can the backer alignment and the relation and then I you know get into it all everything that we do is going to be based on the relationship between the down guy and the linebacker right but if all you know is you're, I'm blocking by myself or I'm blocking in combination with one of my buddies and we're going to worry about the relationship between the down guy and the linebacker, we're, we're done. Right. And then I will use the exact same, instead of calling it a zoner, I'll call it a gapper, right. Instead of being the, the, the zone drive guy, it's the gap drive guy. The post drive stays the exact same. There's a post and there's a drive. Right. And at that point now inside zone and gap are done. And, and now it's just going to become the putting it up on the board and saying, okay, when we go into this backer, you know, when we start our count, it's right here, right? And then there's a the guy behind him and all, you know, just you can get into all that stuff. But in the end, you're working by yourself, you're working with a buddy, and then it's the relationship between the down guy and the linebacker. Okay. Now, now when you go to teach, okay, so obviously you're teaching this game. 
when you get to the fundamental and drill work, like say somebody that's watching this podcast wants to install inside zone. What are like two drills that you recommend somebody starts with? Now, I, I know there's, again, goes back to there's 18 billion ways to skin that cat. But like for you, like where do you, what what drills do you think had the most impact on how you help develop your offensive lineman for inside zone? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm again, I'll be uh, the outlier. And, you know, our head coach, Mike Elko, actually, you know, probably said this to me um, early. I'm, I'm, I'm probably use less toys than every O-line coach in America, right? I'm just, yeah. I'm not a toy guy. And, and, and my reasoning is, is, is simple. Um, you know, number one, when you, when you start at the division three level, you got to <laughs> figure it out. Right. Um, and then I, you know, I'll never forget a guy I worked with a while ago at Northwestern, Garrick McGee, you know, he would say like, you got to be able to, you know, and he was quoting a, a, one of his old coaches, but you got to be able to coach like you're, you know, you're out in the country and you don't have any equipment. How do you get somebody to to play the game of football if you're just out there country coaching is what he called it, right? Just, mm-hmm. um, and so then I take it a step further to say in the game of football, offensive linemen block other people, right? And that's, I, I have this firm belief that, playing O-line is probably the least natural skill of any sport that that's out there. Right. So taking something that's that unnatural and creating, making it natural, the more moving parts and things we throw into it, I think the harder it's going to be to create that muscle memory and that, that just, you know, that high level of consistency. So, um, in the end, we only use we only use hand shields when we don't have shoulder pads on because otherwise they have to get used to, to hooking up to some shoulder pads, right? And to feeling jersey and all those things. And I know O-Lyman never hold anybody ever, right? But um, but let's talk about reality, right? There's there's they they've got to get used to to their hands grabbing things that are in front of them. Um, and so that's why I honestly I don't I don't <laughs> I know I'm probably uh you know gonna be maybe my O-line coaching card's going to get taken away from me when I say it, but I'm not a big sled guy. Um, what I love is this. I love a shoot to, to emphasize pad level. Right. And I start them, you know, near the front of the shoot, not the back so that they're coming out of the shoot when they make contact, not staying underneath it because you can't turn, you can't turn on any film anywhere. Believe me, I've done it. I've tried. You can't turn on any film anywhere and see someone block like they're actually under the shoot for longer than the initial get off. It doesn't happen, right? Every O-lineman in America would be decapitated if there was a shoot that, that ran the entire length of the football field. It's impossible to do, right? Or at least to do efficiently with your body. You'll end up trying to bend at the, at the waist instead of bend at the knees. So it's all about creating that explosion. The other toy that I use, again, I'm toying in, in air quotes here, is I cut up towels that are about this long, roll them up as as small and tight as possible. And I put it in right in front of their first step. Like literally it's touching their, their shoe so that um, you're forcing them to have immediate feedback for that first step, right? So that the first step, the direction that you want it to go. And that way it's so, it's so thin and low to the ground that they, they literally can step on it and they don't even know that it's there, but it provides that feedback so that it, when we begin our drill work, it's literally get under the chute, put the towel on your, and then I say, first step, load your elbows, right? That's the very first part of the, the teaching progression. First step, load their elbows, right? They're going to pull their elbows back. To, if I, I told them if they do it a hundred times, they should have bruises from where this part of their, their wrists hits their rib cage. 
Their wrists should never break their belt plane as they pull back. Um, and then that's the only time that I ever stop them. I just want immediate feedback on that first step. I don't want to create robots that step like this and that, because that's not how the game of football is played. I want to create that, that thought process that my first step has to be positive. To me, positive is outside my stance and the direction I'm going. Outside my stance and the direction I'm going. Positive first step, load your elbows. Then the next step of that is just, it, it, I call it step through the contact, right? And Because I, I, I have a belief there's a dead spot, right? And I, that's why I never train to freeze at that fit position because there's a dead spot. When an O-lineman and a D-lineman hit each other, they, they go dead. It stops right there. And then it's truly who brings their feet through that dead spot that's going to win the initial six inches of the block. So it's about getting that through that dead spot. So we'll go, we'll go step through the contact. And so they get to that fit position, right? Um, and I tell them, however many steps you take at that point, right? I'm not looking for six. I'm not looking for two. It's somewhere in between, right? And then the next point, part of it is let's go run this thing full speed and let's get used to driving somebody. Let's get used to that feeling when you come out of the chute and you start to raise up and having to, I call it, take another bite, right? So if you're driving them, driving them, driving them, your face mask comes up, you have to take another bite by dropping your, your face mask down to get, get your, your helmet back under his chin line. Um, but truly that's going to begin the, that's going to allow us to block zone in that direction right doesn't matter like after everything else builds off of that you can put a linebacker off the ball then then we'll we'll do the exact same thing because that's i told you that's the block when i'm blocking somebody by myself right there it is we're that's the first thing we do right then we can put somebody off the ball and have somebody uncovered inside of us or we can put them on our inside shoulder and and work a double team up to the linebacker so honestly if you came to our our practice you would see us work that Every single week, you know, it's I don't want to call it an everyday drill because I, I can get into this later. But every day what I do is kind of break down what are we going to do in this in this game plan? What are we going to have to execute? Let's go do that under the shoots. Let's go do that with the towels. Let's go create the the confidence that I'm going to execute this at a high level. Yeah. OK, let's just talk about that then. Like, I mean, you mentioned a little bit there how you structure your, your portion of the practice, obviously. Like you, you, you'll get the script. You'll see how stuff works. How do you approach practice from the time you get out there till the time you guys are together? Like, obviously you have any period pre-practice, probably some time during special teams, I would assume. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah. Um, so obviously the, the thing that you have to get done every single day without fail is snap the football, right? Cause nothing matters if the quarterback doesn't have the ball in his hands and my job, is to create as many centers as humanly possible, right? And so I'm going to truly, in the first day of spring practice and the first day of fall camp, everyone snaps. At some point, you know, some guys get it better than others, right? But I'm going to keep throughout the season six guys active as as snappers um, because you just never know. And and I say that from experience, unfortunately, right? So you just never know how many centers you're going to need in a football game. So uh, we're always going to have guys um, able to snap the football. That's going to get done every day. After that, I go, you know, not only I go through the script, um, but I'm also doing it as we create the game plan. And I literally write down a list uh, and of the combinations 
and the fundamentals that we're going to have to execute within that game plan, right? If we're facing an odd team, obviously the combination's a little bit different than you're when you're facing an even team, right? So I write out all of those combinations and then I do the exact same thing for every scheme that we're, that we're executing. What are the different fundamentals we're going to have to execute? Then I do the same thing for pass and I have this like, you know, long list next to each other. And then you then you just kind of look through the game plan and you prioritize, right? But my I, my goal slash necessity requirement is to get through all of that by the end of the by the end of the week, right? Most O line coaches get enough time to tackle some of that. Then what I do is I try and bounce back and forth between run and pass, right? So that it's not just in you know O line coaches would love to drill run for you know. 40 minutes of their 45 minutes of Indy. And then, oh yeah, we got to pass protect a little bit too, right? If we don't, you know, we've got to prioritize pass as well. You know, I've, I've been spoiled my entire career as, as an O-line coach to have, you know, a GA as well as a tight ends coach sometimes that can, that we can divide up the line because I think the more times that you can say, all right, you know, tackles need to do some of this over here with the, with the tight ends, or sometimes I'll take the tackles and the centers and guards go with, with my GA, you know, I've been fortunate to have good guys that I can do that with that. Now you can accelerate getting through that list, but on, you know, that list will be a full page long. And then obviously again, it, it gets prioritized. It gets like, okay, we may have to hit this twice in a week. We may have to hit this you know, every single day we may have to, you know, if we're starting to get into some of our, our sub package stuff, we, you know, we may have to uh, go through this quickly. And so the players know that, right. The, the O-line and I've, I, exp I explain it to them. They understand the, how important it is to get through all this stuff so that they know if they're, if, if we're working the the center, right guard, right tackle, it, I don't even have to say left sides on defense. They know the left side is over there giving us the look. And they know that we're going to do this at a, at a really fast pace. Right. And so that like, I, and I constantly want the, the defense getting refreshed. Right. So the left side guys will just rotate through. Um, and you, by creating that tempo, number one, you're creating the conditioning, but you're also going to be able to accomplish a lot because all I got to do is go like this. All right. I want everybody slanting this way. Right. They all know exactly what's getting ready to happen. We, we snap the ball. Okay, next group gets up, we're slanting them the other way. And not everybody's going to get every rep, which is, you know, you start talking about the value of one rep. The guys behind have to be seeing what the guys ahead of them are, the, the reps that they're getting, right? The, when the right side's up, the twos on the right got to see what the ones get because I don't always duplicate the reps there. Sometimes it has to be visual. Now I got two more questions for you before we go, Coach. One, one I, I know you've talked about it before because I I, I want to say it might have been a long time ago at our state clinic. I know you've spoken at the OHSFCA. You've, I mean, you've spoken at several state clinics. I mean, at this point, sure. like, I mean, some <laughs> of the, when, I, when, I, when I was doing my research, even some of the itineraries for some of those popped up as I was doing deep research. So, but like, I know you've talked about game planning before, and I'm not asking for a full presentation. Like, obviously, you've talked about it before, but for especially for high school coaches who may have, like, I talk to coaches all the time who, played in the wing T or triple or even did college in the triple, but are now spread guys or that are transitioning from doing that to now it got hired maybe by a spread school. What is, how, what recommendations would you have for high school guys in particular trying to game plan for the spread and their preparation from week to week, especially for somebody who has been in a very run oriented spread most of his career. How, how, how would you recommend that they approach game planning in the spread? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. So I, you know, it's it comes down, 
you know, I, I don't know if I can boil it down as quickly as probably you want, but I'll do my best. Um, I think, you know, you got to look at, at what in the spread, obviously the box is just different than when you look at those triple teams, right? I played in a triple system in high school. I played in more of a, you know, a, a one back two tight end system in college, right? The, the, the box looks different. Your linebackers get, get strange displacements, right? And so then it comes down to how do you get the, them lined up the way you want them, right? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's true all the time, but, but you often, right. They'll, they'll give the enough flexibility to get in, you know, different formations to move the linebacker alignments around, right. Cause it's going to come down, you know, especially if you're just talking inside zone, right. If we'll just start or just stick with that as, as our thought process is going to be, um, you know, how do we create angles or create double teams, right. And so when you look at something and you, you know, as much as, you know, as much as you might be like, man, it's just this, this seems like it's good, but I just, I've got no angle on that linebacker. Just scrap it, right? Quit, quit trying to square peg around hole, go get in a different formation that creates that angle a little bit better or right. And here, here comes the ultimate cheater answer of it all, right. Is in the spread. The other thing that you do is you handle some of that with, um, with the RPO game, right? And everyone in the world is doing it now. How do you handle those box adjusters with the RPO game to create leverage back to, you know, the man, this is, I have great leverage to this backer, but that backer's just, he's like, sometimes he's there, sometimes, okay, let's, let's do something else, right? How do you, in, in the end, create angles, create double teams, handle the adjusters or apex players. Though That's really how we think of it just, that's that's every scheme, but big picture. How do we handle those apex players or adjusters? Which scheme best handles them? How do we let the quarterback get involved in that? Because when you put the quarterback in the gun, he's got to be involved in some of that. Okay, and and then I mean, how do like here? And this is the last question for for high school teams trying to run inside zone, because obviously that's been a big topic of what we've been doing today, and. I mean, obviously, we we might not have the time or the um, type of lineman that you have, but for high schools trying to run inside zone, whether it's under center, or out of the, that doesn't really matter. What recommendations would you have for them? Because, like I said, I mean, you watch a lot of high school recruiting film. You see a lot, but then also, like I said, you get 18 million questions probably a year from during clinics and camps and stuff. What recommendations do you have for team high school teams trying to run inside zone? And and you can approach that any way you want, but just what personally, like kind of based off what you've seen and and how people approach it. Yeah. Um, so a couple things. You know, one of the things that uh that I think that we do well and have been fortunate to you know <laughs> be with some great coordinators over the year have done well is you know, is certainly um have some different um uh, ball handlings, whether that be use the pistol, whether that be you know, have some same side footwork available, have some, you know, some, some footwork where it's um, looks like outside zone, but ends up being inside zone, right. Get, you know, that that's going to allow you to run the exact same plays with a different look for the defense and put, you know, some of that stuff is give the quarterback better vision of the field, right. Because so much has to be, um, you know, so much is on the quarterback when you start talking about that RPO stuff. So that's, that's one way to think of it. Um, the other one would be, I, I, you know, I just go back to what I said before, right. Is, is just, you know, I, I've, 
I've played with some, you know, I've been fortunate to coach first round draft picks. I've been fortunate to coach lots of guys that have played in the national football league. And then I've coached guys that have never played it down in the national football league. And, you know, we're still, um, you know, three-year starters for us as, as former walk-ons um, because of their just mental toughness. And, and I say that because you can block inside zone with everybody. You know, you might have that 5'8", 220-pound center that's just a bulldog, right? And you're like, I don't know if I can do it. Well, you can just get them great at those single blocks, right? The hand placement, the eye placement, the footwork, and then find ways to double-team people, right? Because in the end, if if you, the O-linemen you have were truly – the best athlete, they'd be over there playing D-line. That's the reality of this thing, right? Those D-linemen are great, great, great athletes. They're they're impressive people. We've got to find ways to move them off the ball, and you do that by putting two people together. Perfect, Coach. Coaches, A, give him a follow. His Twitter will be in the bio. Um, Coach is a great dude. Um, anytime I've ever reached out to him anything, whether it be years ago at OHFCA for the virtual clinic, I mean, he gave us like half his staff that year when he was the head coach. Um, to now just I mean literally we set this up in less than a week for him to record this I mean coach is fantastic um, obviously if you're in the Carolina area go visit one of their practices this will be after that those are but um, yeah uh, reach out to their staff they again they have a really good staff there at Duke um, doing some really good things um, as I told coach before we started he, they had, they have some athletes right now that are really good on uh, across the board um, like share subscribe all that lovely jazz um check out our sponsor coach pad otherwise that is in our episode of the gap down backer podcast